0: morning. I pray that God has blessed you already on this Labor Day weekend. I hope you're enjoying yourselves and grateful that you've come to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning. If you've not already done so, I want to encourage you to look inside your worship folder where you'll find a fill-in-the-blank listening guide. We provide these each week and I hope that you'll take the time to follow along the message. It helps you study, helps you learn, helps you retain what God says to you. The title of this morning's message is Passing on the Passion, How to Influence the Next Generation for Christ. We're going to be reading in just a moment from Deuteronomy 6, and so if you want to be finding your place in your Bible, we'll be reading there in just a moment. Last year, when we called Dustin Clegg to serve on our staff, and and by the way, he's doing a marvelous job and God's using him. This past Wednesday night, we had over 120 students upstairs, and uh, that is a blessing. There aren't a handful of churches all over Arkansas where you'll see that, and we're thankful for what God is doing among our students. We're thankful for Todd Mayo and his work among our children, and I want to share some statistics w- with you that I shared when we called Dustin that you need to hear again, and it's the reason why we invest so heavily in our ministries to children and our ministries to students, One of the great tragedies of the last 30 years is the loss of youth when they graduate from high school from our churches. It is a fact that 64% of decisions for Christ are made before the age of 18. And so it's vital that we reach students and children while they're most receptive to the gospel. 77% of all decisions for Christ are made before the age of 20. One. That's three-fourths of the people you know that know Christ did so before the age of 21. It's estimated that 4% of what is called the Bridger generation or Gen Y will be Bible-believing Christians when they reach adulthood. 4% of this current generation of students will be believers in Jesus Christ as young adults. Now, their parents, 35% of their parents, and 65% of their grandparents had come to know Christ by the time they reached adulthood. What we're seeing now, however, is that 88% of children raised in Christian families leave church at the age of 18, never to return. That's almost 9 out of 10 and it is a frightening trend and we want to see that change and so this topic this morning is addressed to you and to myself as the word of God for how we turn the tide of losing generation after generation on our watch. Why is this happening and how can we stop it? Deuteronomy 6 has the answer. It's an ancient word from our father And what we discover in this passage, what we'll see very clearly, is that what he wants most from you and me is passion, a love for him. And what he most wants us to do is pass that passion that you and I possess to someone else, to another generation. So we're looking this morning at passion for God, what kills it, and how to keep it white hot. Now, Deuteronomy is not a book that most of us turn to right away when we think of some place. I want to read this morning, and yet Jesus quoted more from Deuteronomy than any other book of the Old Testament. It was clearly precious to him. It's the fifth book of the Old Testament. It was originally known by the Jews as the Mishnah HaTorah, which is the repetition of the law. In Greek, it received the name Deuteronomy. Onomos means law. Deuter means second. It was the second giving or the repetition of the law because they were about the 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 Jews were about to enter the promised land and a whole generation that had barely a memory of Sinai and the first reception of the law was about to enter the promised land and so what does Moses do he repeats the law he tells the story again and he tells them the truth that they need so Moses retells the story of the ten commandments and how they received them and then he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in verse 1, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God As long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So he has retold the story of the Ten Commandments. He issues the great declaration of faith that all Jews hold precious. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's called the Shema. And then he summarizes all of the law, all of the Old Testament rules into one Command to love God. Jesus pointed this out also in his teaching. When he was asked in Matthew 22, verse 36, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there it is, the great commandment. Passion for God. Passion for God. Loving Him with all your mind, your soul, your strength, all that you are. Your life is intended to be a vehicle of passion. Your experience of passion for God is to be a vehicle of passion that influenced the rest of the world. So the ultimate command from God, be passionate about me and me alone, he says. And moms and dads and grandparents, whatever else you do in life, this is your primary assignment. Take your passion and pass it on to the next generation. Now, we're going to take this chapter and we're going to cut it in half. And we're going to look at the second half of the chapter first. Because it tells us something very important about how passion can be killed. And I want you to see three deadly passion killers as we deal with the last half of the chapter first. Moses tells us what will kill our passion for him. Now, this is important because you can't pass on what you don't possess. You can't pass on what you're not excited about. You will pass on what you're excited about. But it's your passion for God that you want to keep white hot, that you want to keep alive. So what will kill your passion? Well, number one, first of all, satisfaction is a passion killer. Satisfaction is driven by met needs. Now, you may not have thought about this, but your needs keep you close to God. They can. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, listen to what he says. When the Lord brings you into, and then he describes the promised land, a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled. With all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, most dangerous moment in your life, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Success. Satisfaction. Life goals met can kill your passion and when we have what we need and when we're enjoying what we have it's very easy for us to forget God and not feel our need for him intensely and so satisfaction can kill passion it's easy to quit praying it's easy to quit seeking God it's easy to quit living in conscious obedience to him Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit not poor in dollars but poor in spirit because the neediness in the spirit of a person who feels their neediness could be classified as poor. And that person who carries within them always a need for him, always needing him, always relying on him, no matter what I have or don't have, can fight off this passion killer of satisfaction. There's a second one. Difficulties can kill passion difficulties are fueled by unmet needs this is the opposite end of the spectrum and in Deuteronomy 6 verse 13 we keep reading fear the Lord your God serve him only and then he says this do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God he has given you now what happened at this place called Massa well the story is found in Exodus 17 and you can just jot it down, but here's what he says. Fear. Uh, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. And then it says the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled. And then it says he called the place Massa because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? So trouble, adversity, not having what you need can hurt your passion. It's very easy for you and me. When things become difficult to complain and to say to him, Lord, don't you care about me? Lord, if you loved me, my needs would be better cared for than what I'm experiencing. And so unmet needs can kill passion. It's an easy moment to walk away from God. But there's a third passion killer, rule keeping. Rule keeping can kill passion. And it's sustained by ignoring needs. It doesn't matter where I have a lot. Or little I just keep the rules and some of us here today are that way we're not even thinking about necessarily our relationship with God we're focused on being what we're supposed to be doing the right things making the right decisions keeping all of the rules how does rule keeping kill passion well there are rules associated with most activities in life and rules by themselves are not bad and we should keep them Uh, but why do athletes compete in a sport so they can keep the rules? I watched some yesterday. They didn't keep the rules very well. Athletes don't participate in a sport, so, oh goody, I get to keep the rules. I'm going to run a track race today. Oh goody, I get to stay between the lines. That's not what they get excited about. They're excited about that sport and that spirit of competition. Why do people stay married? Oh boy, I get to keep the rules at home. I get to take out the trash i keep to walk straight i keep to watch what i say oh boy no we're married because we're passionate about someone or we should be so it brings me to this statement that you need to understand and hear carefully keeping the rules without an authentic relationship with god is action without passion And I can't think of anything that has driven more kids from church than that statement. You got to hear me. We joke about it. We talk about kids that had drug problems when they were growing up. They were drugged to church on Sunday morning. They were drugged to church on Sunday night. They were drugged to church on Wednesday night. We joke about that. And Well, we should encourage our kids to be at church. And we can be very strict about what is right and what is wrong in our home, and we well should teach a kind of morality about what is true and what is false and what is right and what is wrong, but why? If that child does not have a personal, vibrant, white-hot relationship with God when they grow up, where do you think they're going to go? And it's happening. This is not hypothetical. It's happening in generation after generation after generation. You say, well, I did everything I knew to do. I brought them to church. I taught them what was right. I taught them the Bible. And they still walked away from God. And listen, you may be a wonderful, godly man or woman. There is no guarantee that your child is going to walk with God just because you did everything right. What has to happen in the heart of that child is that they have to have a relationship with God that is real. It takes more than the rules. Understand that. It takes more than teaching them what is right and wrong. It takes more than getting them here on Sundays and Wednesdays. Listen to what Moses says in verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him. In other words, a child's asking, why do we keep all these rules? Why do we go to church? Why do we do all of these things that you say are so important, Dad? Why do we do this? And we look at him and we say, because we're good Baptists, son. I hope not. Listen to what he says. Tell him. Tell him. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord, he did something. He did something in my life son he changed me he transformed me but the Lord brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive why do we keep all these rules because we're Jews because we're Baptists no because God did something in my life And I want him to do something in your life, too. That's how we answer that son or that daughter that asks us, why do we do all of this? Why do we have to go every Sunday? Why do we have to go and be part of that church? It's because God did something in my life, and I want him to do something in yours. And that's our best answer. If we just teach the rules, the kids, they'll throw that under the bus in a heartbeat. But if they know that you have a vibrant relationship with jesus christ it's a little harder it's no guarantee but it's a lot harder for them to walk away well moses linked the rules to a relationship with the living god so should we so how can you and i pass on our passion to the next generation moms and dads this is the blueprint from god himself of how we pass along our passion for god to the next generation. Four essential steps. Social psychologists and police officers tend to agree that if a window in a building is broken, an abandoned building, and that window is broken, if it's left unrepaired, what's going to happen? Soon, all the other windows in that building are going to be broken. This is as true in nice neighborhoods as it is in rundown neighborhoods. Window breaking does not occur on a large scale because some areas are inhabited by determined window breakers and other areas are inhabited by people who take care of windows, window lovers. Rather, the unrepaired, broken window is a signal that no one cares and if no one cares, why worry about the windows? How are the windows of your spiritual life? Your Personal relationship with God. Passing on our passion means showing that we care about at least four windows that Moses shows us. That your kids, your grandkids, your friends, this is true of influencing anyone. Showing that you are taking care of these windows and it communicates your passion and that can become contagious. Contagious passion is created when you do these four things. Number one put his words in your heart put his words in your heart in verse 6 he says these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts so what's he saying he's saying and we've said it before that the words in this book will do you and no one else in your life any good whatsoever so long as they stay between the covers of this book It is vital that these words become part of your thinking, part of your thought life, part of your decisions, part of who you are. These words, he says, are to be on your heart. The Word of God is true. It's from Him, from cover to cover. It is the expression of the heart and life of God. Everything He wants you to know about Him on this side of heaven, He has revealed to us through His Word. It is life to your spirit. And your soul nothing else that you ever pick up will give you more truth about who you are and the world you live in than what you find in God's Word God's plan is to change you first you're gonna influence your children grandchildren where does it start he starts with you they got to be on your heart second second discipline second window that you need to take care of teach his words in your home It's not enough that they hear it at church. They need to hear it and see it fleshed out at home. In verse 7, the first part of it, he says, Impress them on your children. So they're on your heart, and then you impress them on your children. And that word impress, also in some translations, translated as the word teach. is a very special word, and I want to take a moment and illustrate it in this way. It, uh, It describes several things. But to get an idea when he says to teach what he's describing the word is the same word described for the use of a whetstone now with a whetstone you're sharpening a knife y'all relax okay sharpening a knife and and how do you sharpen that knife you bring that blade down at an angle on that stone and then you drag it along that stone now is that going to sharpen it got to do it more than once don't you so you do it again you bring it down And you do it again and you keep sharpening that blade that way when he says impress them on your children he's saying do it again and again and again you take god's word the things that you're learning the things that he's impressing on your life and on your heart and you do it over and over again there's another way this word is applied it's the same word used to describe what happens with a drill now they didn't have one of these in moses's time but it worked the same way because what does a drill do? Even the old ancient drills, when they went down on a piece of wood and you drilled something, it goes round and round and round and round on the same point. Do You ever feel like you've told them for the four millionth time something? You were impressing something on their heart. And that's what he's saying, to teach them diligently to your children, to impress these things on your children's heart. You have to do it repetitively. And you need to do it in your home when our oldest ones were growing up we had a daily bible time at home and we typically we did lots of different things but we typically would read a passage of scripture if we had nothing else to do we'd read a passage of scripture and then i would look at those kids all different ages sitting there and i would ask the same question i'd say what do you think god is saying to us through this passage And that got them in a habit of knowing that when you read God's Word you should expect him to say something and it didn't matter where we read we could expect that God would speak and that was just a habit that we did as part of breakfast didn't take long something that we did but then there's casual conversation Uh, those teachable moments when questions arise what does this mean why do people do that why is there so much of something in the world and your influence mom and dad And I'm learning this now as the oldest pastor you've ever had, 30-something years, is your influence doesn't end when they graduate. You can influence your young adult children in many ways. It's different. You can't run their lives. I hope you don't. You don't want to do that. They don't want you to do that. But you can certainly influence your young adult children. I want you to hear a story. This is Kevin Hart, he's a comedian. I am not endorsing Kevin Hart or his comedy. He's been interviewed by Oprah. I'm not endorsing Oprah's philosophies. I am endorsing Kevin Hart's mama. Listen to this and you'll see why.
1: I told my mom, mom is what I wanna do. My mom said, you know what? Kevin, she said, I'm not a dream killer. Her exact words, I'm not a dream killer. You're telling me this is what you wanna do? I'm gonna let you do it. She said, you got a year. You got one year to prove to me that this is what you want to do and that you can support yourself. Wow. She said, I will help you out for a year. My mom said she will pay my rent for a year. This is a crazy story. So like six months going by it's at a point where, you know, I'm not really making money, but I'm loving it. I'm loving stand-up comedy. I'm making great relationships with comedians, comedy clubs. I haven't paid my rent in like a month. I'm like, mom, You know, the rent, where's the rent at? She's like, are you reading your Bible? I said, mom, come on. I don't have time to talk about that right now. Mom, I'm late. Like, I need the rent money. Are you reading your Bible? Mom, no. When you read your Bible, then we'll talk about rent. Another week, two weeks go by. Mom, they're going to evict me if you don't give me this rent money. Mom, I'm serious. Have you read your Bible? Yes. Okay, well, then let's talk about rent. Mom, that's out. I don't want to talk about the scriptures. I need the, I need the money. A month goes by. I get an eviction notice on my door. They're about to kick me out. I'm like, Mom, I go to her house. I got the eviction notice. She said, Talk to me when you read your Bible. I, th- I can't talk to you right now. I just read <laughs> I go home. I said, Man, let me open this Bible up. Open the Bible up. Six rent checks fall out. She put all my rent checks. Oh, my in the Bible. goodness. She put all my rent checks. From that six months throughout the rest of the year, they were all
0: there. Does that give you any ideas? <laughs> if you're going to give them money, you may as well stick it where they need to find it. <laughs> Number three, the third window you and I need to take care of. Discuss his words in your day. Discuss his words in your day. Not only impress them on your children, but in the rest of verse 7, he says, talk about them when you sit at home. That's your private life. And when you walk along the road, that's your public life. And when you lie down and when you get up, that's your entire waking life. The things that God is showing you, the things that he is teaching you, are the things that you should be talking about. It should be very easy and should be a natural part of your life to say, you know, I just read this the other day in God's Word. Or God spoke to me about such and such today. Or let me share with you something that I'm learning that God is teaching me. And then number four, show his words to your world. Show his words to your world. In verse 8, he says, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Years later, to this day, Orthodox Jews who are committed to their understanding of faith will take this passage and literally will take the Shema, the Lord our God is one, Deuteronomy 6 4. They'll put it on a piece of paper in Hebrew. And they'll roll it up and they'll put it in a little box and tie it to their hand, a little leather box. And the little leather box, they'll tie it to their forehead. It's called a phylactery. They'll also put it on their doorposts, and uh, they'll put it in a little scroll. And they'll put it in a little box on the doorpost. And every time they leave their home, they'll touch that little box. It's called a mezuzah. Every time they leave their home, they'll touch the mezuzah and they'll say, "The Lord our God is one." And every time they come home, they'll touch it again, say, "The Lord our God is one." Now, I'm not sure that that's a bad thing. I'm certainly not going to put that down. But I believe that the meaning of this passage runs deeper than than that. He says, bind them as symbols on your hands. Some of your versions are going to say signs, and that's exactly what it means. Bind them as a sign. And what is it? It means something that speaks without words, something that is a message that is not spoken. And when it applies to your hands, it's something that you do. When it applies to your head, it's the way that you think and make decisions. And when you apply it to your house, to your doorpost, it applies to what you possess. And so your actions tell a story. Your thoughts and the way you think and the way you make decisions speak to people. And what you have in your home when people walk in, those things speak to people. And so we are to be a living demonstration of the things that we talk about. That people can see through what we do and how we think and how we live and what we have that the Lord our God is our passion that he is our greatest passion how is your influence how is your influence you can't influence others if he's not influencing you and your heart this morning you might be a mom or a dad or grandparent you've come here and You know in your heart that you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way. You know who he is perhaps. You've read about him. You've heard stories about him. But you don't know him. And you don't have this personal relationship. And you're certainly not passionate about him. The Bible tells us that he is passionate about you. That he loved you so much that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to show you and tell you how much he loved you. And then he demonstrated his love for you by sending Jesus to die for you on a cross. And on that cross, he took on himself and his body every sin you've ever committed, every sin you ever will commit. He took it on himself. And then God punished Jesus as if he had done those things. And he was the sinless, precious, pure, perfect Son of God. He didn't sin, but he carried your sin. And God punished him in your place. That's why we call him our substitute. That's why we talk about the cross so much. It's because at the cross, he died for me. And he paid the price for my sins. The Bible tells us that God raised him from the dead as proof that death could be overcome. The penalty for sin could be overcome because sin had been forgiven. The Bible says that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning if you will put your trust in Jesus Christ, say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I know I'm lost without you, and without you, I will spend eternity without you. I desperately need you. And so, Lord, as best I understand, I'm taking all of me, all of my life, all that I am, and I'm surrendering it to you, and I'm putting my trust in you for the rest of my life. And I'm asking you to come, Lord, into my world, into my mind, into my life, and change me. This morning when we stand and sing our invitation is our response time it is part of our worship and whether you're in the balcony or sitting down on the main floor there'll be pastors standing at the end of each aisle and if you need to be saved this morning if you need to trust christ let us help you let us pray with you if you'll come forward take one of these pastors by the hand they will share scripture with you you can read it for yourself please don't take our word for it read it in god's word and then They'll help you and guide you as you place your trust in Jesus Christ this morning. And so when we stand and sing, I'm going to invite you to slip out and to come forward. And then brothers and sisters, moms and dads, grandparents, your job is not finished. You're not done. And God has a work for you to do with your kids and your grandkids. And so as you respond to the Lord this morning, I don't know which of those windows you need to take a look at. I don't know what what God is leading you to do or how he wants you to respond but I want to encourage you to say yes to him if God spoke to your heart today. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you, Lord, for your word and how you give us the answers we desperately need in our generation, in our time. Father, as we respond to your word and what you have said, would you through your spirit, through your Holy Spirit, would you move among us and touch and speak to every heart so that lives would be changed and so that we might be refreshed and so that for each of us our passion for you would grow to levels perhaps as never before. That's our desire as we say yes to you and we respond to you now in Jesus name. Amen.